Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden in New York City. And I'm at Rich Valdez on all the social media. Make sure you check us out. We're talking about totalitarians throwing tantrums and tech. But I want to get to a couple of headlines first. Trump is blasting McConnell for working with the communist Democrats, quote unquote. And quick headline, Trump has raised more money than any president in history. About a week ago, it was 45 million. He's at over 100 million now. God bless him. He's a machine. The guy's a machine. Kudos to President Trump. Speaking of Trump, he's always blasting big tech and big tech must be upset set today because the Twitter bots are out all over the place. They're going nuts, posting the same tweets under different names, all about hospitals are filled, COVID this, COVID that. We're under attack. One lady takes a picture and you could see the empty bed behind her. And she's like, there's no beds that are empty and blah, blah, blah. I mean, the whole thing is really just concerning, in my opinion. But that's where we're at. The government's trying to take over, telling people what they got to do, when they could do it, how they can do it. But the totalitarians are throwing tantrums. And we're going to talk about that in segment two. And in segment three, we're going to talk about not big tech, but tech overall and how you can use tech for good, not for evil. (laughs) So we're going to talk about that. But I want to jump right into this stuff, because right now, all sorts of crazy is happening in Capitol Hill. It's totalitarianism really on full display. Nancy Pelosi is going berserk, in my opinion. She's trying to lock up members of Congress for not wearing masks, all sorts of things. I mean, this mask thing, there's people that are leading on it, like Pelosi leading on it from the left and DeSantis, who's leading on it from a more uh, humane perspective. I can't say he's leading on it from the right because it's not even a right wing idea. He's just saying parents should be able to decide if their kids are going to wear masks. And how could anybody not agree with that? Anyway, listen to this one from Right Scoop. Check this out. I think that this decision about whether parents want their kids to have to wear masks all day in school, I think that's a decision that falls squarely within the contours of this parent's bill of rights that I sign. And so... And so accordingly, uh, uh, very soon I'll be signing an executive order uh, which directs the Florida Department of Education and Department of Health uh, to issue uh, emergency rules protecting the rights of parents uh, to make this decision about wearing masks for their their children. Uh, We think that that's the most fair way to do it. You know, I, like, I have young kids. My wife and I are not going to do the mask with the kids. We never have. We want. I want to see my kids smiling. I want them having fun. And I 
don't know. I mean, look, my kids are a little younger, but I can tell you, whatever you think of masks, you got to wear it properly. My kids ain't going to wear that thing properly. We know that. 100% right. If people aren't wearing the masks right, it violates the, the whole uh, protocol of infection control. It's useless. I mean, early in the first COVID round, I remember people telling me, look, if you don't have the double-sided tape and have a lot of pressure, that's why if you went to a hospital, if you even saw a nurse that worked in, a, in an ER or an ICU, you would see the bruising on their face from having it on so tight. Because if you didn't have that N95 on tight enough, you are wasting your time. And that's why people say this stuff is a sham. So yes, masks work, but not these little tiny masks that we're using that oftentimes for me, if I put it on for more than like a minute or two, my throat gets scratchy, my nose gets itchy. It gives me allergies. No bueno. DeSantis is right. Parents need to decide what's going on for their kids. That one's pretty straightforward. Ted Cruz, he's letting Pelosi have it. He says she's drunk on power. Who the hell is she? I agree with him. She's the Speaker of the House, elected by a handful of people, a hundred and whatever, 700,000 people in um, San Francisco. Not God. And she sure as hell ain't the president. But I want you to listen to Senator Ted Cruz saying that she has no authority to disrespect the members that work there and treat them like criminals by threatening them with jail. Check this out. But you know what? She's not done with that. She's not done with disrespecting our Constitution, disrespecting our democratic system that elects leaders. She goes further. So the good men and women who work here in the United States Capitol, we are surrounded by men and women who have chosen to come and work for the public good. And here's what Speaker Pelosi has decreed. If you dare walk in the hallway without a mask, I, Speaker Pelosi, will arrest you. I will put you in jail. I will fine you. That is an absolute and complete abuse of power. She has no authority to disrespect the men and women who work here to threaten you with physical harm, to threaten you with imprisonment. And why does she do so? She does so for one reason, political theater. Well, excuse me, ma'am, your totalitarians are showing. That's right. Nancy Pelosi says she's going to lock people up. You've got to be kidding me. And it's funny because just a couple of months ago, she said we can't even require somebody to be vaccinated. This one's from the Bongino Report. Check this out. We, are, we cannot require someone to be vaccinated. That's just not what we can do. It is a matter of privacy to know who is or who isn't. I can't go to the Capitol physician and say, give me the names of people who aren't vaccinated so I can go encourage them to, or make it known to others to encourage them to be vaccinated. Uh, so we can't, we can't do that. We can't do that. Well, that's Nancy LaBruja Pelosi flip-flopping. And again, maybe she's not mandating it yet, but you know she wants to. These autocrats, they will do whatever they want to do. And when they feel like if I show my true colors and say I want to do this, but you won't let me, you may not like that. So they try to hold back. But the bottom line here is we know full well Nancy LaBruja Pelosi will beat you down with her broom when she's driving around. If you don't listen to her, and if not, she'll get you in, uh, you know, in handcuffs. That's what she wants to do. She wants to lock people up. I mean, I, I want to say I'm shocked, but I'm not because I expect that from her because she's just off the deep end. But it is to me surprising that she's allowing her autocracy to be on full display like that. Typically, 
they want to check that and they want to say things like democracy 10 or 15 times in a sentence and cite the Constitution so they can try to hide behind it as they're destroying it, right? That's always their plan. They use the Constitution to destroy the Constitution. Usually the ones that are very vocal and out there with their leftism are those like Bill de Blasio, right? Bill El Bobo de Blasio here in New York, who says, look, I'll, I'll do a mandated vaccine if you keep pushing me and I'll put it right in restaurants. This way, uh, he can't bribe people with the different incentives that they have going on. He's just going to take away their jobs because in effect, that's what ended up happening, right? And there are people that really believe this. But listen to Bill El Bobo de Blasio. Check this out. Do you have the power, and, and forgive me if I, I don't know this, I'm generally inter genuinely interested, do you have the power to mandate vaccination in all restaurants, like a, like a liquor license, like a restaurant can't sell liquor if they don't have a liquor license? Could you do that, or the city council? The uh, health department, which in, especially in an emergency situation like this, has very real powers, uh, can uh, put out a variety of rules. Just as you said earlier, there was issues with smoking in the past. Any kind of public health issue can be addressed. Okay. And we're looking at all those options. Okay. But listen, it comes down to something very human. We want people to understand this is, this is what saves our lives. This is what saves the lives of their loved ones. But we've tried incentives for months and months. We tried being you know, communicative and open and compassionate and all that was good. But we need something also tough at this point. Incentives, yes, $100 per person, great deal. Mm -hmm. But we need mandates. Now, this is where it gets problematic because, again, I understand in a full-blown pandemic, look, I put on my mask just like everybody else. But right now, the new CDC guidance says that if you're at X amount of per 100,000 people, so whatever per capita, whatever the rate is, that's how we're going to determine if you have to be masked indoors and this. And again, I don't agree with the guidance, but it's pretty specific. But there are places that are just saying, oh, you know what? Everybody just mask up again. And, and it's time I think people really wake up for a second. You don't have some sort of moral duty or obligation to just play this game. If you need to be vaccinated, you got to get vaccinated. If you need to wear a mask, then wear a mask. But I don't think we need to make everyone wear a mask when we know full well it isn't working unless you're using the right mask and you wear it right. And this is not just being made up and it's not even their full guidance in every area. But this is part of the overall thing. They need to scare people. It's uh, fear compliance, right? They scare you into complying. Keep talking about it. Keep calling the radio stations. Keep talking about it on the news. Keep tweeting it. Keep putting it on Facebook. No matter what you do, just keep saying the unvaccinated people are dropping dead. If it was really that bad, do you think Democrats would be like, you know what? All the unvaccinated people are Republicans and they're all dropping dead. Would they really fight so hard against this? Now, I'm not saying it's not true that the unvaccinated are paying the price. I do believe that. I think that this vaccine probably works really well based on the numbers. There are some people that are going to drop dead from taking it. There are some people that are going to have severe complications. I mentioned it on the last show about that young guy, two young college guys. Very unfortunate stuff. But bottom line, most people, 80 some odd percent of them are doing well. And those are good odds. Anyway. I want to move on because there's a couple of more pieces of audio I want to play. And I know I've played a lot of audio, but I just think it's so important to know who the cast of characters is and to know exactly what they're thinking and what they're saying. Now we've got Representative Cori Bush. She's like the fifth member of the squad. And she says, it was very difficult for me to get vaccinated because, well, because I'm a black woman. Now, before I even react to this one, you have to hear what she said. Listen to this. Um, but they should have to wear a mask. If they're not going to get um, vaccinated, then they should have to wear a mask. Um, okay. These are representatives. I mean, I think that they should 
you know, they should care enough to go ahead and get the vaccine. I did. And as a black woman, it was very difficult for me, but I went on ahead and did it because I understand that's what my communities need and leaders lead from the front. So lead, get the vaccination. I don't know exactly what she's saying. To me, it sounds like because she was a black woman, it was difficult for her to get the vaccine. Now, I don't know if she's saying it was difficult for her to find or if it was difficult because somehow as a black woman, she doesn't do vaccines. I don't know the answer to this. But either way, I think it's stupid. So she's saying she's gotten the vaccine. Now, we all know we've criticized all out crazy our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, for taking the vaccine ahead of first responders and the elderly when it first came out. She's like 31 and she was first in line saying, I want to be a leader. I'm going to show people this is how it's done. Yeah. I mean, that's not a really good AOC impression, but still you get the point. So what is it that Cori Bush is saying? Representative Bush, if you're listening, please tweet at me and say something, not the F-bomb like AOC, but say something that will let us understand this better, because I think there's a lot of context there. Maybe we're lacking context, perhaps. I'm open to that. I'll take that hit. But I don't get it. I don't know if you're saying it's difficult for black women to get vaccinated. And if so, why? I don't think it's difficult. They're peddling this. It's come to Manhattan, all over New York City, every other block. There's a tent that says get vaccinated. They're giving these things away at CVS. They're all over the place. So I don't know. I think this is just one more attempt at trying to play the race card and then try to play yourself up saying, oh, look, I'm a leader because I got vaccinated. Really? So all Americans are now leading because they've been vaccinated. I I just don't see it. I don't see the correlation. I don't understand what race has anything to do with it. But this is how the totalitarian thinks, especially when they throw race in the mix. And we'll finish with this one. Don Limon. That's right. Don Limon from CNN. Now, Don Limon says that the unvaccinated should not be allowed to participate in society. And this whole argument has nothing to do with freedom or liberty. And of course he would say that because he thinks nothing has to do with freedom and or liberty. That's the whole problem that we have with Don Limon, a.k.a. Don Lemon. But anyway, listen to what he said and then we'll jump into that. Check this out. You got to start telling people if you don't get vaccinated, you can't come into this office or this place of business. If you don't get vaccinated, you can't come to work. If you don't get vaccinated, you can't come into this gym. If you don't get vaccinated, you can't come into this, get onto this airplane. It, it, it has nothing to do with freedom. It has nothing to do with liberty. You don't have the freedom and the liberty to put other people in jeopardy. You don't have that. You have to, you have to drive the speed limit. You have to obey the rules. Put some rules in place that will demand that people get vaccinated. You right. can't just go around and say, well, look, it's my personal life, freedom and my liberty. I want to go 150 miles an hour if I want to. Sure you can. But you have to suffer the consequences for it. Either you, whether you kill yourself or you get a citation and your, or your driver's license gets taken away. You have to have certain rules in a society if we all are going to continue to live and keep each other alive. You cannot be that selfish and, quite frankly, that ignorant. So, again, let me get this straight. Don Limon is saying that the unvaccinated are getting the vaccinated people sick when they're saying it's like 89 or 90 percent of the people are now almost exclusively, if you're getting sick right now and dying, it's because you're unvaccinated. So what, which one is it? Because if the vaccinated people are getting sick, I understand it's like a cold or they have no symptoms at all. You can't come here. You can't go on a plane. You can't do this. You can't do that. Everything's happening because of the unvaccinated. But yet they're the ones that are dying. So which one is it, Don Limon? Is it both and? If it is, I'll accept that, but I just don't see the case. I don't see how you could sit here flipping out about somebody not wanting to take a vaccine. It's like saying, look, you're going to drive down the road without a seatbelt on. 
You end up killing yourself, that's your bad. Now, they made this crazy uh, analogy of saying, well, that's a drunk driver. Drunk drivers shouldn't be. I agree. Drunk drivers, not getting a vaccine and driving a car drunk are two totally different things. I think people for, for the longest time have always had a right to say, I don't want to do this. I have a religious exemption. I have a medical reason for not taking it. Uh, how about just plain old, it's not FDA approved yet. So if it's approved for emergency use, then maybe you should let those that are in those emergent scenarios and circumstances take it and use it. The elderly, the infirm, the immunocompromised, not eight-year-olds, not 12-year-olds, not 15-year-olds. That's the point. Let it have its time. We understood this was a major pandemic. We needed to get this thing rolled out to save a lot of abuelitas. Great. Let's save them. Take it. Everybody 55 and up, those people all got it. That, that seems to be the case. So now it's young people that are saying, look, I don't even get sick most of the time. And if I'm the unvaccinated and I get it, I'm dying. So you're kind of thinning the herd, so to speak. Not my words, but people have used that with me. And I think it's kind of crass, but I'll use that word for this gross analogy. If that's the case, why are they all up in arms? Did they want more Trumpers? Did they want more Republican voters? Or do they really just care about humanity? I don't know. The point is, I'm not trying to make a conspiracy theory here saying that, you know, it's the vaccine that does this, that, and the other. You know, that's not my shtick. I am saying, yeah, basta, relax, take it easy, stop, that's enough, punto, final. Just leave it alone, period, the end. We got to keep it moving. Forget what Don Lemon has to say, Don Limon. Forget about Cory Bush, the fifth member of the squad. Forget about Bill El Bobo de Blasio and what he's got to say about mandating this in restaurants. Forget about Nancy Pelosi saying uh, you can't force somebody, but I'll arrest you, <laughs> right? I mean, who, who comes up with this stuff? And let people decide for themselves and let them do what they've got to do. I'm not getting anybody sick. Nobody's getting me sick. Well, how, Rich, how could you say that? Because this thing is less lethal than so many other things that we have a risk of dying from. And if all of those other things aren't killing us, cancer, diabetes, this, and those things are out there. Then let's focus on, you know, point the fire hose at the fire and stop making a big deal out of everything that isn't a big deal just so that you can hold on to power. Enough is enough. Keep it locked right there. Straight ahead. We're going to talk about AOC, her temper tantrum in Congress. Also, why her and uh, Talib and Kristen Cinema are furious over the spending plan. And then in the third segment, we're going to talk about tech and what's going on and how one guy made a sacrifice, took a shot, took a leap of faith, and did something good using technology. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. This is America. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. This is America with Rich Valdez. All right, bienvenido America. Welcome back. Rich Valdez at Rich Valdez on all the social media. And of course, I always want to give a big shout out to every single listener. We got so many listeners across the country. We're growing in, in the West Coast. We're growing in, in the Southeast and the Southwest of 
California, Florida, Texas. So saludos to all of you guys. Thank you so much. Of course, in New York, we continue to do what we're doing. And it's because of you that we're getting this message out there, because you're sharing it, because you're texting it, because you're sending it to your friends, because you're talking about it. I got a message today, and the guy tells me, listen, I bumped into a guy who was doing um, fire suppression work and I, I, we were talking about stuff. Politics came up. He said, hey, have you heard about Rich Valdez? This is America. And the guy said, no, I haven't heard it. And he's like, oh, you know, he works with Levin. He's had some great mentors. It's a good show. You should check it out. The guy says, oh, yeah, I'll check it out. No problem. He checked it out. He loved the show. He sends me a note and tells me I bumped into a guy who's new. It turns out the guy was a buddy of mine who recommended the show. So big shout out to Chris Kawahal out in West New York, New Jersey, and all of the new listeners that are coming on board. We appreciate that. Because it's not because you're just listening to me, because I mean, I'm not even that interesting, but it's because we're talking about something that's really important. And this is a movement, not only for you and me, but for our children and for the sake of America. So, you know, when I try to make light of a situation, I realize that this stuff is serious. And this is why All Out Crazy herself is throwing a temper tantrum. And it's, it's over this spending deal. And we've got, you know, a lot going on. You got AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, all out crazy, Rashida Tlaib, Kristen Cinema, all blasting the Democrats, saying, you know what, we don't support this $3.5 trillion spending plan proposed by Joe Biden and their colleagues in Congress. So good for them. But it doesn't stop there. But wait, there's more. Because, you know, AOC always has a little trick up her sleeve. And now... She's uh, really annoyed that she was on CNN's State of the Union with Jake Tapper. And she's threatening her moderate colleagues, saying that if the Senate does not pass the reconciliation bill without Republican support, the House will uphold our end of the bargain and will not pass the bipartisan bill until we get all of the investments we wanted. Or excuse me, all of the investments in. I love how they say investment when they're talking about spending your tax dollars on something that will never produce anything good. There will be no return on investment. This is not an actual investment. It's a liability. It's a bill. It's an expense. Unreal. So she's threatening her her colleagues, threatening the Republicans. Now, Kevin McCarthy was on the floor of the House on Friday, and he says that Biden, and all intent and purpose here, Pelosi herself, they need to get a clue on inflation. Listen to this. One week ago, President Biden said inflation was temporary. He went on to say that spending trillions more would, and I quote, reduce inflation, reduce inflation, reduce inflation. Madam Speaker, I think he's the only one who believes that. Mr. President, with all due respect, we need to wake up. Inflation has risen every single month since you took office. And last month was the largest increase in 13 years. Now, let's be very clear. Inflation is a tax on every single American. Everyone who's buying grocery knows it. Everyone who is filling up their car knows it. Everyone who is booking a summer flight knows it. And yet President Biden told a town hall in Ohio last week, I don't know anybody who's worried about inflation. <laughs> Madam Speaker, the only people I could imagine who are not worried about inflation make $5 million in a couple months on trading stock options or sell paintings for half a million dollars. Why doesn't the President of the United States know what's going on? This is what Americans hate about Washington. They turn on the TV and hear the President telling them their concerns aren't real. Enough is enough. People are fed up 
with the ignorance and arrogance and the hypocrisy. Madam Speaker, President Biden needs to get a clue about inflation. Yes, sir. Leader McCarthy, you're right. I do think he's a good guy and he's heading in the right direction and he's working hard to do what's right. It's more energy than we've seen from Republican leadership in a long time. So I I welcome it. But I think he's right when he says this is taxing on every American. This economy is not stellar. People are in a bind. If the government's giving me free money, I'm taking it. People are pulling back on a lot of things because the economy's shrinking. Everything costs more. Inflation. But Nancy Pelosi, no, 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 Nancy Labruja Pelosi parks her broom before she goes into the Speaker's uh, lobby in Congress there. And she decides to say, on Friday as well, thanks to the Democrats and the Build Back Better program, the economy is working just fine. Check this out. When American people voted for a Democratic White House and Democratic majorities in the Congress, we promised help is on the way. And now help is here. Democrats have been living for the people to build back better, passing the American Rescue Plan to crush the coronavirus and defeat the economic crisis, including with the Biden child tax cut. Biden tax cuts credit for some. It really is a tax cut for all. Passing landmark lines, laws for equal pay, empowering workers, lowering health care costs, creating jobs, rebuilding the infrastructure, and more. Thanks to the Democratic leadership, the Build Back Better economy is working. Amazing how she twists and contorts things. Passing landmark laws for equal pay and empowering workers, lowering health care costs, creating jobs, rebuilding the infrastructure, and more thanks to Democratic leadership. The Build Back Better economy is working. What planet is she on? Whose health care is getting less expensive? Number one. Number two, landmark laws for equal pay. I mean, I guess if you think that everybody should make the same amount of money, then that's on you. But I think they do that in Cuba. I don't think it's a good thing. Your doctor makes as much as your mechanic, as much as the baker. No room for any growth. Everybody's making the same thing. I mean, maybe things have gotten a little relaxed since Raul Castro stepped down and they have uh, Diaz Canel. All right. Maybe a little bit. But would you want to just go and live in Cuba? I mean, the people in Cuba don't want to live in Cuba. Come on. But that's the problem. You got all out crazy out there selling this stuff like it's the best thing since sliced bread. Democratic socialism, government money, bankrupt everybody, make everybody broke together. Workers of the world unite. No, thank you. But here she is all out crazy. And she was at a hearing again just at the end of this week saying income inequality is not just growing Historically, it's been accelerating. Listen to this one. From 1948 to 1973, the typical American family saw their income double about once every 23 years. If you work an entire career, you can see yourself actually step up in your social class in your lifetime. You can go from an apartment to a home to have your children go to a good school and since 1973, the, the rate that it takes to double your income will now take over 100 years. So a family's income will not double in their lifetime or in one working generation, but three or four working generations, not once 
in, in, in one generation or once in one lifetime, but once in a century. And that declination of growth and prosperity is an absolute threat. But income inequality is not just growing. Historically, it has been accelerating. Now, here's an interesting point that AOC raises. That is true. It does take a lot more time to double your income because of inflation, because of the higher cost of goods for a lot of things. And I am of the opinion, not the same opinion of hers, but my own opinion, that it's very difficult for a family of four, let's say mom doesn't work, works inside the home, taking care of the kids, maybe a homeschool situation. Very difficult to pull that off in a lot of places in America. Now, there's still some places where you can do it, but it's still very difficult to pull off. And it was a lot easier back in the day to own a car, own a home, go on a vacation or two a year and live the American dream and be a blue collar person. And that's a real thing. And that's part of the reason people voted for Trump, because they realized we'd outsourced everything to the point where everything is not only outsourced for the sake of them saving money and making things more accessible, quote unquote, things still cost more and they're less valuable. This is the problem. But to couch that in the same argument as income inequality to suggest that somehow we should have an equal outcome, and you've heard this argument a million times, there's no reason for any of us to have an equal outcome. Identical twins born to the same family should not necessarily have an equal outcome. You're both going to become lawyers. You're both going to make $273,000 a year. You're both going to make three hundred dollars a year being dance instructors. How could anybody guarantee anybody anything? You have to work for what you get. Rich, you're missing the point. The point is that AOC saying that guys in the patriarchy make this much and that women, because of misogyny and racism and colonialism and all of the other stuff that Marx and AOC peddle, because of all of that, that's why men make more. But that's not even true. I mean, when you take away for things that actually happen, men don't give birth, women do. That's just a biological reality. Is that why we're trying to erase genders? I saw something the other day that said the... Uh, American Medical Association. I hope it was a parody. I, I shared it, not knowing how official it was, hoping that somebody would say, oh, no, no, that's fake news. Nobody said that to date. WebMD was reporting it. They said they're considering eliminating sex as a biological identifier on legal and medical documents. So you just come and be like, hi, I'm Rich Valdez. I am a, what do you say? I'm a person. I'm a human being, folks. Yeah, that's all fine and dandy. But we have different chromosomes. We have different everything. I don't get how that works. But that's the fantasy land that they live in. And she wants to harp on this income inequality. And I'll tell you something. You can harp on what's wrong and how the government needs to fix it. Or you can actually fix it yourself and give people an opportunity to improve their lives. Straight ahead, our guest coming up, Eric David Benari. He's a chief technical officer for many companies, worked with Yahoo for a while. This guy was making big money in not the Silicon Valley, but in the tech world and decided, I want to help kids in my community and use tech to help them to become entrepreneurs so they can learn to earn over the Internet. And I thought this was fascinating, so I wanted him to join us. So keep it locked right there. We're going to get into that in a little bit more. I am Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site. 
out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500, or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC, we are professional grade. The 45th President Donald Trump thinks it's an honor to speak with Rich Valdez. Oh, very good. It's an honor. Thanks, Rich. The honor is all yours. Conservative Talk with a dash of sofrito. Now, here's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And I've mentioned before that we're going to have this spotlight on American entrepreneurship. And the American entrepreneur I want to highlight today and put the spotlight on is not so much the entrepreneur himself, although he's a social entrepreneur. It's really what they're doing, this free market approach to self-sustainability, to being self-sufficient and helping kids that are coming from a very challenging background in the process. Uh, I've mentioned this on the air. I've mentioned it on the program. There's a charity in New York City and Queens and Long Island City called Techie Youth. And it was started a while back, and we're going to get to the story of that. It was started because of a need that... This gentleman didn't even know existed, and when he found out there was a need, he rose to the challenge. And if you know anything about this show, you know that I'm always talking about rising to the challenge because we have to do something. So, Eric David Benari, welcome to This Is America. Thank you, Rich. Glad to be here. So give us a little bit about the story, the background. You're a CTO, a C-suite person, the chief uh, technology officer of some tech firm. You've worked for Yahoo, and you've done a lot of stuff. How do you end up in Long Island City, Queens, mentoring foster kids that are coming out of the system, kids that are dealing with juvenile justice, all sorts of stuff like that? So it sort of fell in my lap by accident. Uh, randomly, about seven years ago, give or take, I was in a conversation with some girl I met, and she happened to be a foster care caseworker. And she's telling me about what happens to youth when they reach their age of emancipation, when they, they uh, lose all their benefits from foster care because they hit age either 18 or 21, depending on what part of the country they're in. And uh, nearly all of them go homeless because that includes their housing. And if they can't financially self-sustain, which most can't, they end up literally homeless or incarcerated for trying to make ends meet for illegal reasons. Statistically, it's nearly all of them that end up with that fate. This broke my heart and I didn't know this even was a, a thing. Like I had no idea this kind of problem exists. And I just said to myself, I got to do something about it. Now, hang on. I think that went really, really fast. You just said that nearly all of them end up incarcerated or homeless. That's correct. Yeah, and, and it's, it's a logical conclusion based on the scenario. They're in foster care because they had no family to take them. The ones who have family go to kinship care. So they have nobody in the world who's going who's gonna to care for them. If they can't financially self-sustain, they've got no shelter. It's simple as that. Wow. So, okay, so you identify a problem and you're like, should I call my congressman? Should I call talk radio and say, what can we do? What can we do? No, you decided to do something, right? Tell me, what did you decide to do when you heard that? So my background was in tech, as you mentioned, and I, had a, I have a lot of years of, of like chief technical officer experience in Yahoo and this. And I said, you know, tech solves a lot of problems in the world. Let's see if this can solve this as well. And apparently no one's tried this. And literally, uh, it took about a year of planning where we were, where me and several co-founders were recruiting foster kids straight out of their their foster care group homes, uh, which is like a modern day orphanage for teenage teenagers in foster care. And we literally recruited them and started our first class of a dozen kids uh, in 
November of 2015, the we were the first people to use the micro the classroom in the Microsoft Store flagship store Fifth Avenue. What, literally three days after the doors opened, and we had our first class, and we brought a computer, and we had all the youth take the whole computer apart, and then at the end we said, all right, you guys put it all back together again yourself. And believe it or not, they did. And I think our first class was about four hours long, and in four hours, an entire group of a dozen foster kids can disassemble a computer and put it back together on themselves. We we just all looked at each other, and go, we got something here. This is it. Fast forward to the to uh, to the beginning of 2020, over 800 youth have gone through our doors, and now with uh, COVID and all that, we we've, we've added in uh, e-learning and remote studies, and now we have over 3,000 youth uh, in our program at this point. So you're a billionaire, you have all this money, and you decide, I'm going to start this charity, I'm going to do all of this stuff, because I'm, I'm really rich and I'm really, really smart. Is that correct? <laughs> I'd like to be a billionaire, but no. I mean, I, it's, it's a huge pay cut to run a nonprofit. I'll give you that one. Uh, so you're saying you lost something in the process of helping people and trying to do what you felt was right. Absolutely. I mean, I, I run a community in New York City of data for data tech of 25,000 people. I stopped that to do this program. I mean, this is like a big deal to me. This is where my heart is at. And the truth of the matter is I enjoy it, but it's a huge pay cut. I mean, a CTO salary is way more than I'm getting as an executive director of a, of a charity. And I was a volunteer up until a year ago. We, I was doing this uh, just because so that's you, where my heart was at. So you were slumming it. Well, summon it, but you know what? I got advice from good entrepreneurs who said uh, you got to take a salary so you go do this full time and stop splitting your time up. And and that was great advice because that's where we built the e-learning platform. And now we have three thousand youth in the program, up from eight hundred over five years. We now have three thousand in one year. So clearly, that was good advice. And you did that prior to COVID, so you were ready. We did that at the first sign of COVID coming, meaning when there was in the beginning of March 2020, mm-hmm. when people were starting to get concerned, we said, let me, I, I said to myself and I said to my board, like, we got to make sure we're prepared in case we can't do a group, a large group gatherings. Our classroom size was like 65 students in a room. So that's clearly a public gathering. Right. Um, so, and it turned out to be the right choice because now we can grow and we have several other states in the United States who are discussing collaboration with us. And we currently have uh, the cities of Phoenix, Arizona, and and, uh, and in uh, Missouri, we have also we have so we have other other youth using our program now nationwide, which is something we couldn't do because of the geographic location. Um, so it, it just it it helped. It was a great thing this e learning. Yeah. Now I, I love I love the whole story, and there's so many really interesting parts of the story. You've got the uh, I was this uh, C-suite person. I stepped away from the the fast life and all of that stuff. And, and I'm of course I'm embellishing because. I'm trying to make the cases. So many people often tell me, what can we do about any problem that they see? And oftentimes I'm thinking the, the solution's right in front of you. You're just afraid to take the chance. You're afraid to lose money and slum it a little bit so that you can make the impact that you want to make. And I think that's the biggest fear that people have is actually taking that leap. What made you uh, cross over? What made you say, I'm going to take the pay cut. I'm going to make the sacrifice. You know, I honestly don't know. It was like one foot in front of another, realizing that no one else is doing this and I have to do it. And it's like, if, if there's no one to do it, I'm going to be the one to do it and make this happen. It's a heartbreaking situation to know there are like 3,000 teenagers in New York City alone foster care that they're all going to end up homeless if nobody helps them. And I looked around and there was very few people helping them. And when the ones who do are teaching them vocational skills, how to be a plumber, how to be a, a custodian. And no one's teaching them career skills. I saw the opportunity here. These kids could be career professionals. 
tools. They just need someone to guide them. And, you know, we tried it and it's, who, knew, who knew it would work? But it does. <laughs> We've got youth who are, who are now uh, doing very well in the tech sector. And uh, now with the new COVID uh, programming or learn to e-earn, we call it, we're teaching them uh, how to become, uh, how to make earn, earn an income while working remotely from anywhere they are. So we were originally teaching them tech skills, hands-on. Uh, how to become a help desk support technician. We did that until 2020. And now with the changing times, we've adapted and we're teaching them now how they can earn money anywhere they are. And there's like 20 different tracks of how they can earn money. They choose their own, including like trading stocks and, and uh, printing 3D printed objects that they design on their computer and sell and uh, doing all sorts of great things, uh, video editing and web development, lo lots of cool stuff, AI. So looking at some of those things, uh, give me a story, I guess, of somebody that you personally, um, you know, dealt with that gave you um, their testimony, and maybe you could share it with us. I think that the best story is, it's a simple one, but it's a great one. It's like a pay it forward story. So we had one student in our prior class who we were teaching, we taught him the skills to be a help desk support technician, like many of our youth. And he went on to teach uh, computers to, to uh, kindergartners and first graders in Harlem. And we kind of saw that as great. He's like, he's like taking what we taught him and teaching others. And we, we, that's my favorite story by far. Right, because it's multiplying. Yes, That's exactly. great. That's great. So now you mentioned that they're doing these programs like they're learning about AI. They're learning about uh, music production and um, trading stocks, day trading, whatnot. And they're doing this online as to become more entrepreneurial, to become more self-sufficient, which I think is terrific. What if some of these kids, again, they don't have families. What if they don't have a cell phone? I mean, everybody thinks everybody has a cell phone or they don't have a laptop. Um, how, does, how does that work out? They need some device to sign in. They could do it from their phones. However, uh, the ones who are generally in need of a device, we have a program that we give them laptops. And we have, we have over 100 laptops to distribute. Our first distribution day is actually tomorrow. And then we're going to do several other distribution days after that. And literally giving them out laptops. Um, they can choose between a Chromebook or a Windows-based computer. And they got it. It's, simple, it's as simple as them just applying for it through our formalized program uh, where we, 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 we base it on need. Um, we're not going to give it to the youth who can afford their own, but if they clearly cannot, then they got a laptop free. So if from they're our taking program. classes on their smartphone and the screen is cracked and they can't see everything and they say, hey, Eric, I, uh, I need a laptop, you guys are going to provide one. Absolutely. Yes. Now, how are you able, if you said you're not a billionaire and that you're slumming it, how are you able to afford that when you have 3,000 kids in the program? Okay, so there's two halves to that coin. Um, first off, we have benefactors who have been generous, uh, and the, the most notable one is Craig Newmark, the Craig of Craigslist, uh, and as well as several other very generous benefactors. However, very generous is a relative term. We operate at about 5% of the typical budget of a charity with 3,000 constituents who we spend 150 hours on each constituent. That's how long our program length is. So what um, would a typical budget for a program like that be? Most of the New York uh, charities that are uh, relevant to what we do is get have about twelve million dollars a year burn rate. Some are as much as twenty million. Uh, we're at, we're below half a million, so we're in a complete different league in terms of ROI. Uh, what what the donors give to us goes way farther than any other charity. How do you make that happen? 
a lot of scaling. Uh, everything is built to scale. So when we create a new platform like we did for the Learn to Ear, and it was all designed that it can scale unlimited. We, we could take as many youth as uh, New York City wants to send us, which is how we arranged it. Uh, if we had a system that didn't scale well, we have to have a lot of in-person communication like we originally did in the classrooms. That had a ceiling. We had 65 seats in a classroom. We ran an AM and a PM class, and it's five hours long each. That was the limit. So now we build things to scale, and that allows us to grow to 3,000 youth. We have a team of some 60-odd uh, representatives who uh, coach the youth, and all of those teams are located in countries where the dollar goes a lot farther, and they are using the money to buy themselves food because these are really hungry people in other countries of Asia and Africa, and they really need the money, and we're happy to give employ them, and our dollar goes way farther that way, and these are countries, obviously, where, they, where English is commonly spoken. That's the main requirement. Um, so we train each of them uh, how they can be coaches to our students and then uh, we're not only employing people who really need the money but we have a big team with a, not a lot of budget I mean that's basically how we do it so you're being innovative with every dollar that you get uh, you've got Craig from Craigslist that's helping you out and some other charitable foundations but you said you're operating at a discount of 80% off of every other charity that does the type of work that you do for the size of the group that you have of 3,000 uh, teenage kids? Almost. The discount's 95%. We're at below 5% of the Below 5%, so you said below 20. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, most, most charities in this range are 12 to $20 million. If they have 3,000 constituents and they spend 150 hours per constituent, that, that's typical operating cost. We're nowhere near that. And so it sounds like you, you do a great job. You're stretching every last dollar. You're running a tight ship, very lean. Uh, the people that are listening, they're saying, man, I wish I could have done that, but I didn't have the foresight to do that. But maybe I could send this guy a check. And again, we're on with Eric David Benari. He is the uh, founder, executive director of Techie Youth, techieyouth.org, uh, a public charity in New York State based out of New York City that helps young people that are at risk for multiple factors, whether it's coming out of foster care, facing juvenile justice and uh, a myriad of other situations and helping them to be self-sufficient so that they don't end up homeless. These are kids that don't have families. They're orphans in many ways. Um, how can somebody help you do what you're doing? We need funding desperately. I mean, it's flat out. I mean, just go to the website, techieyouth.org, and give a donation. That's the best thing. If you have opportunity, because uh, you're running a company, to make like a corporate drive for your company, that would be ideal. We are working with one organization that just started that literally this week, and that's going to be helpful. But basically, we need more funds to scale this bigger. We could be in every state of America by next year if we had the funds to do it. We need that help. You got a six-figure gift from or a grant from Chick-fil-A. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, we won a competition. We were uh, number one in the Northeast for the Chick-fil-A innovation competition of, I think it was 2020, 2020 it was, it, it, December 2020, whatever that they, they called it, that or 2021. And uh, that was that was 150 grand that, that we're still living off of, <laughs> straight up. Uh, but that, that was really great. And they told us we won by a landslide. Like the gap between us and second place in terms of votes was huge. So we won by a landslide. We're really grateful that for, for that. And we also won a 10-10 wins competition where they also told me we won by a landslide. So uh, these things are great, but uh, they're supportive and they're helpful. But we, if we got to get much larger donations if we're going to grow to the scale that we could. I mean, 3,000 kids is enormous, but there's no reason we can't do 50,000 by next year. We have everything in place except the finances. 
Check them out at techyyouth.org, techyyouth.org. Put your hand deep, deep, deep into that pocket, pull out your credit card, send them a few bucks because I think the work they're doing is great. I've seen it firsthand. I've been to the facility. You rarely ever hear me tell you to give anybody money on this program, but I want to urge you to to just consider it and check out the website because I think it's important. Final word. The website is T-E-C-H-I-E-Y-O-U-T-H.org, techyyouth.org. God bless all of you who opened your pockets. You're going to help a lot of youth, and we really appreciate it. The youth appreciate it, and it's life-changing for a lot of them. The stories uh, that that the youth tell us on video, which is public on our YouTube channel, will will break your hearts. I mean, honestly, if you look look on our YouTube channel, you hear them open their hearts to talk about how this tech youth has changed their lives. I mean, it, to me, it, it's a no-brainer why I'm doing this. All right, well, there you have it. We'll put a pin in it there. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why I always tell you you have to stand for something because if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And clearly, he's not falling for it. He said, there's a problem. We need to fix it. This isn't about him and any type of uh, self-aggrandizement. This is about how you you get scrappy. You do what you got to do. You figure out how to stretch a dollar and you make it happen. And you can do that with any problem you see in your community, whether it's uh, foster care or whatever political issue you're facing. People need to realize you have to make the sacrifice. And if you stand for nothing, you fall for anything. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you and like Eric and me and for anybody else to sit there and do nothing. So don't do nothing. Stand up and do something for your community. Hasta la próxima. Until next time, America. I am Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.